0: Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets. We're a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston. Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. I had a rasp in my throat all of a sudden. It's getting oh. a little a little gravelly there. Um, uh-huh. I, we, we were talking, uh, I was recording Secrets of Rudy last night. Right. The, the movie Rudy, the 1993 movie for Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. And I was talking about how the similarities to Rocky... And I was mentioning how you know, at the at the end when Rocky's down on the on the, the, the mat and uh Burgess Meredith is there on the you know Mickey's on the on the side stay down Rock stay down <laughs> Doing my Burgess Meredith imitation. I've never seen Rocky, any of the Rockies. Really? The first one is really the one to see. It's it it's an act, I mean it is before it had become a franchise, and it was just a movie about a boxer um, and a guy who just wouldn't give up, a guy from the streets who believed, um, which is a lot like Rudy, which is a great movie. So anyway, talk about what we're doing. Uh-huh. Uh, so this week, we actually got around to de-decorating Christmas, like we talked De- about last de-decorating? week. De-decorating? Remember, we talked about, is that a word? Yes, it's a word. De-decorating is a word. That was the episode title. D-decorating for Christmas. Man, I have no memory of that. So. (laughs) Proof that I'm getting old. Yes, which lets you get away with a lot of things. So um, we did de-decorate on Saturday. We finally took down our tree, which. Was very dry. Very dry. The thing was like shedding pine needles. Like, how many times did we have to empty the vacuum cleaner? Twice. Twice it filled up with needles and then dumped it again there's like the patio i dragged it out through the back door and the patio is just covered in pie it's like a bl- a blanket it's like the forest floor of pine needles or fur needles is the case maybe sure <laughs> technically technically now we know where anthony gets it uh so uh so that yeah we got that I done want our
1: picture I want our our listeners who don't get the advantage of seeing to have a clear mental picture of what kind Our of tree we had?
0: Fir tree. Yes, Our we have a fir tree. Fir tree. Um, how many? How many uh, broken
1: ornaments this this year? I don't actually have an accurate count because what happened was the tr- plastic tray that had a bunch of the ball ornaments uh, fell off of the table and a bunch of them shattered. But the tray wasn't full because we've had those ornaments since we were married, and yes. so it was. It doesn't. I, I think maybe it was like. Three, possibly more.
0: They're cheap, uh, you know. Ball ornaments. I mean, when yeah. when
1: we bought them more than ten years ago, yeah the the box the the boxes of the ornaments in have a dollar have a price tag that says a dollar ninety nine. Yeah, so
0: that's some, th- that's the the cost of ornaments you buy when you have small children because this is what have I mean we lose some every year and then we also lost some of the nicer ones. We and lost one. Well, the one nicer one that
1: broke is one that has broken in the past and been glued and it Uh, just
0: it's breaking it
1: broke along the fault line where it had been glued
0: we should do like japanese kitsunagi and put like um gold molten gold in there to seal it i
1: i would love to get a kit and do that (laughs) except that would except the problem is that this is a porcelain ornament that has a picture on it yeah so it would would kind of make a picture it would would make a jagged thing (laughs) across mary's face
0: well right because it's a it's a uh, fine art nativity from the Renaissance, you know, I forget which one, but yeah. I don't remember which one, but you know, that's the thing it's the price you pay every year. Some ornaments get broken. That's just anybody, anybody who's got kids, and who has got a family. I remember once, even if you don't have kids, they can get broken. I remember once in high school, actually, just after high school, I think it was in college, hanging out with some of my high school buddies, it was, you know, Christmas break at my buddy's house, and we we're sitting around. Had a few beers, you know. Uh huh. And I was sitting next to the tree and I kept kind of like poking the ornaments and they would fall off and break. Why? Maybe more than a couple of (laughs) beers. How many beers? Or I would kind of like sway and brush against the tree. Finally, my friend Mike is like physically grabs me and moves me to the other side of the room. (laughs) Like, just Uh sit here (laughs) as far from the tree as possible. We also know where Anthony gets it still. (laughs) Although Anthony didn't break the the tray of ornaments. That was that was Ben. He knocked that over.
1: And It was more like it was sitting too close to the edge of the table and he brushed against it as he walked past like he was not
0: being crazy. They were not pricelessly replaceable heirlooms. They're just, you know, cheap bulbs and it's going to happen. So it was nice to get that cleaned up. And so in the process of cleaning out the tree and the decorations, we also did some other cleaning and the living room is looking at as nice as it ever has, I think. Yeah, it it's
1: kind of nice uh to have it looking so put together.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's not perfect. There's still some boxes in the corner from that we still need to clear out, but um, um but just it,
1: a few boxes now yeah. in one corner.
0: And um, lots and lots of shoes. Seven people three or four pairs of shoe
1: each because we live in new england where you have to have shoes for every season you have to have winter shoes and summer shoes
0: there's sneakers sandals hiking boots snow boots dress shoes not everyone has all of these but most of us have at least some of these yeah so yeah they pile up and it's where you put 50 60 70 shoes you know right i feel like melda marcos here (laughs) <laughs> well, that is a deep cut. I wonder if anybody gets that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you would have to be almost our age. Yes, you'd
0: have that. to be pretty much our age. Uh, look it up, kids. So, um, so the so the, the living room getting cleaned up meant that. I, I started, I had to clean up the office because we store some of the Advent stuff in here, not in the shed, so that we can get it out easier at the beginning of Advent. So we have like a big box of Advent books, kids books, and the crash and the wreath for the door um, and that sort of stuff. And that goes, we have a corner in the office that has some shelves and we put seasonal stuff there, East, some Easter stuff there too. But it had all been piled in after we moved back in last fall. Um, A bunch of stuff got piled in here and there was a big telescope that we never used. And so finally, I I put the telescope on Facebook in the Buy nothing group, got immediately response, which was really nice. Someone came by and got it. And then I just cleared out that corner and reorganized it. And I mean, there's not much that's gone per se. It's just really better organized because that telescope isn't in the way. So. Right. It wasn't even
1: not not just the telescope taking up space, but just being in the way of other things. Exactly. Exactly. And then Sophie also was inspired to clean the girls room. So, wow, it was was a real clean sweep all
0: across the board. See, that's the thing is, is these types of events can be really, you know, it's. It's the inertia getting started on things. That's really the problem. And so this, you've, you've always got to find a way to get started on, on a project to really make it worthwhile, to make it happen. You know, so as long as you get started, that's what I've, I've been thinking about is, is how do we get ourselves started on these things? So one thing also that we decided to do was to keep up a string of white Christmas lights. Around the window in the living room.
1: Yeah. For one of the things, uh, for Christmas, my parents sent me, or Epiphany, my parents sent me some money to just buy something for myself. And I bought some new curtains for the living room. I've had my eye on these curtains for a while, but they were a little expensive, like a little pricey, but they were the ones I really wanted. And so getting money, like earmarked for, spend this on something fun for yourself. I got the curtains I really wanted. Um, They're... Beautiful woodblock prints from India. They're this deep indigo color. Um, they're gorgeous. And so those look really nice with the white uh, lights against them.
0: Yes. I put a, a uh, smart plug on them. So they'll come on at night, go off in the morning. But like after the sun's up, Sophie says it's really nice to come in and have a little bit of night light in there when she gets up at four or five and she's down there. So it's kind of a night light now. So, yeah, I like it. Uh, so th- another cool thing that w- happened this week is today after mass, we had um, a woman got up at the end of mass. Uh, she was introduced by father as being from Bethlehem in in the Holy Land. And she had come, her, I guess her son lives locally. And she'd come and brought a lot of, Bethlehem is known for its olive wood carvings. And so she had brought a lot of it to sell he, you know, at various parishes after masses as a way to support the artisans in the, you know, the Christian community in the Holy Land. Um, and so we went out to check those out afterwards. It was amazing. So beautiful, beautiful things.
1: We, I got a little, uh, hand carved olive wood pieta. Yeah. Um, which the kids were like, uh, all agreed that it would be really lovely on our prayer table during
0: Lent. Yeah. So, It goes along with. We have some other olive wood pieces we had before, a Holy Family, you know, the Flight to Egypt, and and a Holy Family, and a Holy Family, just a Holy Family. So yeah, they they go along. There was some really nice pieces there. Some, I mean, there was this huge crucifix that had to be eight hundred thousand dollars. It was gorgeous. Oh yeah, Um, I saw someone like bought an icon, a hand painted icon, for I think they sold it for like six hundred bucks. It was. Um, so they had some really nice pieces, and they had some small stuff. Bella got herself a little crucifix,
1: yeah, and they had some beautiful christmas ornaments that's the other thing we have is we have some olive wood Christmas ornaments for the tree
0: yeah, um, I love them, yes,
1: I got those I think the year that we were married um we didn't have any uh, we didn't have any Christmas ornaments, and those olive wood Christmas ornaments were they they came to Immaculate Conception, and I bought them. And uh, they were one of the first things okay. I had for the tree.
0: Right. See, so that's the thing is, you know, trees over time of family, you know, when you're first starting out, it's plain. It's you got the plain store ornaments, whatever, you know, but over time you acquire more ornaments that have meaning over the years and people give you ornaments. And my mom had gotten this habit of giving a, a, a ceramic ornament with a name on it, you know, the Bettinelli's in 2019, or, you know, ones with we have, all the kids' names. We have
1: one for each year that the kids were born. We have uh, one with a new, like, like a bunch of snowmen and a, a new snowman for, you know, a snowman for each kid, or a bunch of stockings hung by our fireplace, and there's the names of each of the kids on them. Right, right. Uh, so, so we have was... one for each kid's birth year, which is nice because when those come out, each kid hangs up the ornament that's for their particular...
0: Birth year. That's their ornament. And of course, I have my Doctor Who and Star Trek ornaments that go on the tree, too. Of course. (laughs) Um, There's a
1: Matt Smith Doctor.
0: Uh, Yes, the Matt Smith Doctor, the 10th, uh, 11th, and, uh, and the Galileo shuttlecraft from the original series but the, but, to go back to the uh the the folks from the from Bethlehem, so it was really nice, but there was a really interesting circumstance you said it was like the United Nations at the table oh, yeah,
1: there's a little Polish lady who frequently sits near us at mass um and she said something in Polish, and the woman from Bethlehem says, "Oh, my son's married to a Polish woman, and so they had a little exchange like just. Like, greetings in Polish, which was yes. nice. And then as I was waiting for the uh, her son to give me change, the man sitting next to me says to him that he studied in Jerusalem and he speaks Hebrew, and um, I think he also said he spoke Portuguese. Like, he was, I think he was Cape Verdean. And so that was kind of cool, too. It was like, right. I'm hearing Polish, I'm hearing... Uh, Hebrew, I'm hearing Portuguese, Portuguese.
0: Arabic, probably French because the Haitians. You know, yeah, it like, was it was really fun. It's like the United Nations at our parish. It's, it's a lot of fun. I love that part, that aspect of our parish. It's the Universal Church right there in our little, little parish. So it's cool. So let's talk about food. What we've been eating uh, this week's recipe that we tried, or new recipe was. Uh, slow cooker roast beef with mushroom gravy. So uh, I was being very diligent last the week before last. We had uh, I got the circular for our the you know the weekly ad for the the store our, our grocery store and they had I beef eye round roasts on sale, two ninety nine I think a pound I think it was it's a pretty good price. So I picked up a nice one about four and a half to five pounds and. uh, And then I looked up some recipes and I looked at this and it's a slow cooker. So it goes in your crock pot. It's a, you know, crock pot or slow cooker recipe. And so what you do is you take the roast, you salt it, then wrap it in plastic and put it in the fridge overnight. So, you know, 18 hours up to 24 hours. And then a couple, you know, so I did like around two o'clock the next day. I got it out. You pat it dry. Then you rub it with oil and some, and put some black pepper on it. And then you sear it in a skillet, um, you know, brown it on all sides. Then you put it in the slow cooker. Then you take uh, some mushrooms, onion, tomato paste, and you cook those in the skillet until they've softened. Then you add some flour to coat it just a little bit, a couple of tablespoons. And then you whisk in some beef broth, which I happen to have on hand from previous recipe. I forget which one it was a couple weeks ago. Um, It was, it was a recipe that had beef broth and vegetable broth. I think it was, it doesn't matter. So I had some beef broth in the fridge. So um, you add that in, you, you whisk it together, and then you add dried porcini mushrooms. This was the key. And some fresh thyme. And I started keeping fresh time on hand, buying it at the store and putting it in the fridge. It lasts for a few weeks. And there's there's so many recipes that call for time that I feel like that's the sort of thing. It's like having cilantro on hand. You know, it's just you're going to use it. So once that is, you know, you bring it to a boil, then you pour it over the roast. You cover it and you cook it on low. For about one and a half to two hours, I put a thermometer in it. I was looking for to hit one twenty five. Hit one twenty five. You let it rest, and then um, the gravy that's left in the slow cooker. You add some butter and parsley, and you uh, you know just let the butter melt, and then serve the 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 gravy on the side. And you slice the roast pretty thin against the grain. And it was it was good. It was nicely cooked. It was tender. It was. I was skeptical, honestly my experience with slow
1: cookers is that
0: I'm I will not, make you a convert. I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm
1: not a huge fan usually. Um, but I think the salting probably kept the beef from getting that kind of grainy dried out flavor. Yes. Texture. Um,
0: and the reverse searing method. Was it the reverse sear? No, that, this is the regular searing method. Reverse sear is when you sear it afterward, I think. But in any case, yeah, searing it up front, but salting it, which gives it the plenty of flavor, you know. it Gets that's. Gets I think salt it also.
1: I think the salt's. Not, it's not just the, about the flavor, though. I think it's also about the texture. I think the texture didn't get grainy because
0: the beef had already taken in as much salt as it, right? As it needed. Right. Yeah. It held together. It didn't get. It's not like pot roast where it kind of falls apart and strains. Yeah. See,
1: I was expecting it to be like pot roast, and I was like, I, I don't know about that.
0: <laughs> I know about that. It was it was good. Yeah, it was it came out really well. I'll of course, I'll put a link in the show notes to the recipe. But uh, that's something I would and the gravy was really tasty. Those porcini. I love porcini mushrooms. They're like a super mushroom umami bomb. Uh, You know, whenever you add them, one of my favorite dishes is uh, is mushroom risotto with porcini mushrooms. It's just so i don't know something about it just so savory i i really love it so uh i i keep a, a sachet of dried porcini mushrooms you know on hand to to put in stuff like this, and it really came out really well, so I was really happy with it so that's what we've been cooking. I'm kind of looking forward to what we're gonna do this i was gonna make a Japanese curry for for the next week but i i actually i had ordered the japanese curry uh um they come in like cubes it's almost like a candy bar it looks like but they they're almost like bullion cubes too um i ordered online and then when i went to look at the recipe i'm like oh you need way more than this for <laughs> one, re- one recipe so um, i'll have to make it once i get some more of them uh back but uh yeah the i'm looking forward to it so uh I think we have chicken adobo on our list coming up this week. That might be something we could talk about next week. Um, I also put indoor barbecued ribs, but I don't know when I'll have a chance to do that because, um, next weekend I'm camping with Lucy, so we'll have to see. All right, so that's what we've been eating. Let's talk about what we've been reading and watching. So I finished a book, another book already. Wow. Yes, I'm on a roll. (laughs) I thought you were were
1: starting a really long book that you were expecting would take forever.
0: I know. The last time I read a Brandon Sanderson book, it took me a month. This took me a week. It was awesome. That's impressive. I will credit it to the fact that Twitter killed all the third party clients and I was no longer reading Twitter in my spare time. I'm just reading my book. (laughs) Well, there you go. I think that's actually a big reason. Uh. And of course, it being a good book helps. So I really like Brandon Sanderson's books. I've really enjoyed his St- Stormlight Archive books. Those are the ones of Reservoir. So this is from his first, I think it's his first series that he wrote called uh, the Mistborn series. And this is like 20 years ago. This is like a 20 year old series. And the first book is called The Final Empire. And um, I'm kind of, a, it, it's interesting to me how similar it is to the Stormlight series in broad strokes. But also I can see how far he's progressed as a writer. Now, some people I know have said that they don't like his voice. There's something annoying about it. They don't really care about his characters. I'm not experiencing that, Um, but it is interesting. I really enjoy his world building. He has Uh the most unique magical systems I've seen in there. Um, In the Mistborn, the magic is called allomancy, and certain people have the ability to, um, if they swallow uh, metal alloys, usually in a solution like in a liquid, um, they can burn them in their stomach. They can you know, like use them up, as, and it comes out in certain kinds of powers. So different alloys give them different abilities. So one will allow them to push off of metal. So they can use, like, just they can push away from it. Others will allow them to like, pull on like, metal, like metal magnetism, almost sort of. Yeah, almost like that. So, like, they, they could either pull it to them. If it's free or and also like the physics matters. So if you're heavier than it, it will come to you. If you're if it's heavier than you or if it's attached to something heavier than you, you will go toward it. You know, there's a there's a physics involved. I like it when magic takes into account physics. Exactly. Right. Physics is very important in in it, too. Um, Some of them are external like that. Others are internal, like you can burn a metal that allows you to either they call it soothe or riot emotions. You can um, pump up another person's emotions or tamp them down. Um, There are other ones that allow you to detect other people using allomancy or to hide yourself doing allomancy and so on and so forth. And most of the people who have these abilities have one ability. They can do one of these things, but there are very few called the mistborn that can do them all. And so this involves some some of these people who can do this. And so the, the but the milieu the is interesting. The world is interesting because you have it's basically imagining what if.
1: See, I'm I'm, I'm wishing you didn't tell me because I'm I'm kind of interested in reading them, and I don't want so much detail. I, I kind of want to be surprised. Oh, you
0: learned this really early, and I haven't really like you. All of this is in the like the the preface, the the alamancy stuff. No, no, I'm but but. I won't go into detail. Let me just say, um, opposed to philosophical, like a, a broad philosophical, what would happen if a hero saved the world and broke it? That's no, no, no. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not ruining anything. No,
1: I, I like to go into books with knowing nothing. And See, now I'm, I'm how do I talk?
0: OK, you you go out of the room and I'll tell the listeners about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind it, of
1: wishing I'd, I'd walked out of the room.
0: <laughs> OK, yeah, trust me, there is way more than than what. It, but, so but Sanderson's really good at world building and creating he's in fact over time he's created something called the cosmere where all of his books even like all the series even though they don't take place in the same quote-unquote world they're in connected worlds and sometimes those worlds overlap and people from one world will show up in another uh, somehow like crossing dimensions like the multiverse sort of thing Uh Um, so it's very it's fascinating and then but also sanderson as a writing businessman like he's built this business out of writing. He has uh, employees and he's like, he he's not just dependent on the publisher. He's like, he gets contracts, to the artists for his book covers and he, he does all the work. And in fact, the first Stormlight book, The Way of Kings, I think it was, I think it was that one that he did as a Kickstarter and raised $14 million. Uh-huh. Which is way more than any author gets in an advance, especially a sci-fi author would ever get in an advance. So it's kind of fascinating. So
1: he he realized that he could actually get a better advance by yes self funding.
0: He's pretty smart. He's a smart guy, and uh, uh, and the money goes to him as opposed to the publisher, right? So uh, although he probably had he's probably gets some deal that he has to also give it to the publisher or something like that, but it's guaranteed buyers. You know, people have bought it anyway. So the first book called The Final Empire is really good. I had bought it as there was an Amazon deal where you could get like the first 3 books of the series in a you know the trilogy in one binding for you know 8 bucks or some some deal like that. It was or $9. It was a really good deal. So I had that on Kindle. Um they're really long, but, but uh and and I was like okay, I'm going to read a, the next one. I'm going to read a short book of a different kind. And I'm like Nah, I'm just gonna read the next one in the series uh-huh. <laughs> and try to get through that one just as quick. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, actually, it's, it's, uh, it's pro- that one will probably take me a couple of weeks, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, all right. So that's what I've read. What have you read? Okay. So I read The Case of the Missing Servant,
1: uh, which was a mystery novel, as you could tell from the title. Um, <laughs> It's the first in the Vish Puri series by Tarquin Hall and uh Vish Puri is an Indian detective in the Indian city city of Delhi. Um and it's fun. It's like a very immersive into Indian culture. <laughs> uh so his his primary case in the book is this uh is the
0: The missing servant, the missing
1: servant, who it's as it's a debate as to whether or not she's actually been murdered or she's just disappeared. Um, Somebody found a body that was dumped and the face was disfigured. So they the ID wasn't positive and then she was cremated very quickly afterwards. Um, But then he has other cases in the background where he's actually doing like he runs a detective agency. And so he has a lot of like his the, his bread and butter is uh investigations into background uh background checks basically of people for uh arranged marriages like like my prospective my my son or daughter's prospective spouse to like investigate their background and make sure they're you question is
0: it present day set in present
1: day I think so I mean it's it's not if it's if it's in the past, it's not in the deep past. It's okay. You know it's people, not, have,
0: people have cell phones and okay. Um, so the internet and stuff. Cell phone, computers, age, internet right. age. Yeah. Uh, so it's
1: it's current day India with all of the different social casts and classes and lots of different languages and um just really com- complex social stuff going on uh, and he's a family man he he's an older guy he's uh, middle aged he's married he has adult kids um and his his wife is really sweet she like makes him lunch every day and um they snuggle on the couch and watch TV at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, his mom shows up, his mummy, and she actually wants to help in the investigation. And he does not want her help at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the other the other plot line is somebody is trying to kill him. And his oh. mummy is very concerned about somebody trying to kill her darling son and wants to get to the, to the root of it. And he's like, I don't need your help. I can take care of myself. I run a detective agency. She's like, yeah, but I... But she's connected to like all of the other mummies and aunties. Of course. And so she has her gossip network and he doesn't want to listen to her. And she actually gets like a major clue. And then she follows it up herself because he refuses to (laughs) to listen, Uh, which was kind of a fun. I wanted more of his mom. Uh, I might go read the other ones just in hopes that she'll show up some more.
0: Um. So it's Tarkin Hall is a uh, British author living in Delhi.
1: He's British. He spends part of his time in Delhi. It sounds like he was a journalist or something. Like he he's traveled extensively.
0: Yeah, it says his wife is 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 Indian. She's mm-hmm. an Indian journalist.
1: Yeah, so he's not Indian himself, but he, it feels like an insider book as opposed to an outsider book.
0: He has to have lived in in, in India or at least Southeast Asia. But, I mean, Southwest the, the Asia. back
1: the back of the book. Has a glossary that's very extensive because yeah. there are a lot. It feels like almost every sentence has a word that's not English. <laughs> it's either a Hindi or yeah. um, Punjabi or uh, one of the many different languages, of course, because the Indian subcontinent has so many languages. Oh yeah. uh, and it's fun. Like he he travels around. He's he's afraid of flying, but he flies at one point, and uh, he. He has a driver, uh, but then there's people who are riding around on motorcycles and things.
0: I like the titles of the of some of the other books. The Case of the Man Who Died Laughing and The Case of the Deadly Butter Chicken.
1: The Deadly <laughs> Butter Chicken sounds good.
0: <laughs> I
1: mean, not, I wouldn't want to eat it, but it sounds like a good title. I'd like,
0: I like regular butter chicken when it's not deadly. Uh,
1: one thing that was c- slightly confusing is that it kind of drops you almost like Sherlock Holmes that Conan Doyle does in Sherlock Holmes, where it drops you into the middle. And so he's constantly referring to previous cases by their right. titles as if there were previous books. But this is, the as far book. as I can tell, the first book in the series, but he's constantly referring back to this case and that case and the other case. And I, I, I think I went back and checked the cover like three different times to make sure it really was the first book in the series because it (laughs) didn't feel like it was the first book in the series. Right. Um, there is some of it is very self consciously, like he thinks of himself as being better than Sherlock Holmes and Conan Doyle just like ripped off, uh, this, his, his particular, um, idol who he looks up to and mm-hmm. so like he's, he's basically arguing that the the detective fiction started in india and conan doyle was just a, <laughs> a rip off um which i thought was kind of fun um
0: yeah i'm just i'm looking through his the other books the most recent one was in 2020 so maybe he's got more coming out along those lines uh there's also the detect delhi detective's handbook vish puri's guide to operating as a private investigator in india so it's So it's written in Vishpuri's voice as a sort of guide to being a detective in Delhi. That's That's fun. I I like when authors kind of have fun with their characters like that.
1: Yeah, you would have liked, you'd like Vishpuri because one of the things he, he's an aficionado of growing chilies. And so he's got like a rooftop garden where he's growing chilies. Evidently he and his wife had tried to move out into the country and then the city grew up around them Uh, Uh, so they he's kind of a thwarted guy who wants to live in the country and uh but he does have a rooftop garden with and he grows the hottest
0: chilies is food like a big part of the food is a huge part
1: in fact he's he's a middle-aged guy he's supposed to be on a diet and he's constantly sneaking food and and lying to his wife about it uh and his friends and family members all affectionately call him chubby Everybody, everybody in the book has everyone who works for him in his detective agency has a nickname. Uh, one of the female investigators, her name, her nickname is Face Cream, and there's a male detective, uh, investigator whose whose nickname is Tube Light. I mean, there's just like really random names. It, it gives it a certain flavor, though. Mm.
0: Oh, it was fun. Uh, it reminds me of the Robert. Uh, Parker Spencer, detective novel set in Boston. I remember reading that, I think it was in high school, and the fact that he was a gourmand and he would describe the dishes he's cooking, I think that's one of the reasons why I love to cook now is like that influence of Robert Parker reading about it, watching Julia Child on TV and some of that stuff like that was it was really got me into interested in cooking. So I like when the writers include that in it. Oh, you
1: would love this because it's all about Indian food I'm gonna I had I had to look up what the dishes <laughs> were a lot because there were a lot that I didn't there were a lot I recognized but there were quite a few that I didn't recognize It'd
0: almost be like you could almost start a book club of uh, authors from different countries and their food like uh, detectives sorry detectives like it would be cool to find like a Japanese detective who's all was always talking about the food and a Chinese detective. Or you I trying to
1: remember I mean? if, if Number One Detective Agency talks about food very much. Is that the one in Africa?
0: Yeah, yeah. That would be interesting because I think there's a there's a connection between like private eye and food. This I don't know. This is some kind of thing there. I know Dean Koontz's books frequently yeah. highlight food. I mean. Even like the um Dresden files is not a lot of food in it but there's still some. I don't know. Well, yeah, Harry Harry Dresden doesn't he's not a gourmand. He's not a foodie. You know,
1: but he's like a pizza and beer kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But but yeah, there I mean he he has his his things like max Oh uh,
0: the burgers burgers, the burgers and, steaks. and steaks. Yeah, and the beer.
1: And then there's pizza and yeah. there's beer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. There's this. I think there's a it would be there. fun to have
1: a book club and then like eat along with the characters. too. Yes,
0: yes. A, a foodie, a foodie book club, which would be fun. Oh, that would. there are some really good foodie books out there, too. Like books that it's not about the food, but the food is incidental. But it's worth checking out, you know, I mean, like The Hobbit or having a like having a Hobbit meal or a Lord of the Rings meal.
1: Now, there's so many people do that. It almost feels cliche. Well,
0: yes, yes. I, that is the cliched version of it. But. It'd be interesting to, I don't know. It'd be fun. Like you have a book club. We all read the book. Then we all get together for a meal of the food in the book. If we can find a group of people to read the Vishpuri books together, we'll all go out to Indian. That would be fun. Or cook Indian. Or cook Indian. Yes. Which we can do. Um, So that's what we've been reading. Let's uh, talk about things we've been watching. So and by coincidence, we're both going to talk about things that we've recently talked about. Maybe even in the last episode. That there's more to talk about. So I've talked about the TV show, which I think CBS. I I can never remember. That's all just on streaming online somewhere. Um, but it, called SWAT. It's a police procedural. It's not deep. It's you know, it's not not fine art. Um, it's a it's a show about cops, and every week they have an unlikely situation that they capture some criminals, some bad guys, and you know, this shoot 'em ups and fast cars and that sort of thing. But I've mentioned before that this one character, Deacon, and I think the last time I talked about how Deacon was helping his, one of the other cops who's having um, a crisis with the mother of his child about baptizing a baby and helping him to come to grips with, how do I convince her? Why do I, I'm not a religious guy. Why am I think this is so important? So this week that character himself is, his name is in the show is Deacon is, um, he goes through a little bit of a crisis, not a crisis of faith, but it it comes. He sees a priest that he knew years ago who helped him through this really bad situation. He was in a car accident; his best friend died. He survived. He carried the guilt of his friend's death at the time. He wasn't religious. And but but was angry at God. And when as he worked through it, his his faith blossomed and grew and he met his wife and he wouldn't be the man he is today. But the faith, the very deep faith that he talks about on the show, um, you know, in his life, if his friend hadn't died and he feels guilty about that. And so you go through the show with it. In the end, the very last scene is Deacon is in confession with this priest in the booth talking about it. And the priest, you know takes him back to that time. And he says, remember, you know, the funeral. And well, why did you get to go to the funeral? I was in the, in the hospital. He goes, yes. And the day of the funeral, I wheeled you down to the uh, chapel in the in uh, in the church, in the hospital. And you remember what it was like? He says, yes. And, you know, we went in there and the stained glass and the light and the altar and, I, and the monstrance was there. He says this, and I couldn't take my eyes off of Christ, he says wow, this is on network television and the priest is a good guy. He's like actually a good priest. He's not a jerk. He's not like to have a secret crime. He's like, no, he's a good guy. And it was like, wow, I have, I don't think, I mean, it's not the chosen. You know what I mean? The cho- right. the chosen is what is, I, on a, I don't think I've seen on a regular TV show, a depiction of the practice of Catholic faith as a disciple the way I saw it on this show, this guy is a is a intentional disciple in that sense it was i was like flabbergasted i think this is it's evangelization i someone on the show is is evangelizing through this show it's It's fascinating to me to see this uh, and man, I mean this is more of the stuff we need you know on you know on t v but cat- being Catholic is is admirable. It it makes you a better person. It's to be admired. You know, it's it, so it was really cool. I was, it was I was like, I was uh, texting Father Chip after I was done. I was like, Father Chip, if you watch this, because he watches SWAT too. Uh-huh. And he, he hadn't seen this week's episode yet. I'm like, you got to check it out. So I was, uh, I was excited by that. I'm, I'm always on the Tenter hercs, like waiting for them to, they make him lose his faith some, you know, some episode or, you know what I mean? Like, right. Please don't do that to us. But yeah. So uh, I just, I keep recommending SWAT. It's a good show. There's good stuff in it. Nice. So you uh, wanted to talk about something that you talked about before too. Right.
1: So last week I talked about, I'd watched, like think the first episode of Three Pines.
0: It's uh, an Amazon Prime series starring Al Molina.
1: Yes. Yep. And uh, as a detective in Quebec. And So you had asked me at the end if it was like.
0: uh, Is it episodic or is it one long story?
1: And so it's actually kind of both. So, so far there's, they've released eight episodes and they come in pairs. So two episodes are one, one crime.
0: One case. yeah, One case. So every two episodes is a new case. Probably not about deadly butter chicken.
1: No deadly butter chicken.
0: Deadly poutine. No poutine (laughs) either so far. I don't
1: think. Um, But. But there is an overarching story, which is about this town called Three Pines. It's a very small town. And he keeps like in the first in the first episode, there was a murder there. In the second episode, he gets sent out because
0: um, he's not a, a, a cop in this town. He's a
1: cop in in
0: the big city in Quebec, in the Quebec City,
1: in Quebec City. And but he keeps getting sent out to this small rural town. He's partly in bad graces with his with his Boss for being Uh, the kind of guy who a bit of a trope, yeah. Who argues back and stuff, yeah. Um, But in the in the third of the arcs, the the third case, third
0: set of third case,
1: yes. um, He is at a hotel with his wife for their anniversary, Mm -hmm. and they are a married couple with grown up kids. And it's really like I really love the relationship between him and his wife. It's really sweet. And then, of course, a murder happens at the hotel. Of course. And it turns out that one of the, the – fa- it involves the family who owns the hotel, and one of the guys who was involved in his previous case is a member of that family. Mm. So it's got another Three Pines connection. Okay. Um, And then there's an ongoing case that f- – introduced in the first episode of this missing girl
0: right i remember mentioning Uh, that yeah
1: and so she comes she's she's still an ongoing concern so it's interesting there's like this one overarching story and then there's these uh, cases of of murder murders but they're all connected to this town and he's like in the second in the second case they go out to the town and he's like it's quite a coincidence that there's two murders happen in this small rural (laughs) Quebec town so soon and it's not immediately after like some time has passed
0: right um but multiple murders in tiny towns it's just rural Britain like well well in fact (laughs) but
1: but one of the themes that they're exploring is the themes of the native um I think in Canada they're they're called first peoples or first nations first peoples yes they're not not Native Americans right um and so the, the missing girl is a First Nations and her family are very mad because they think that the police don't care. Like, if she was not a First Nations girl, you would have found her by now. Sure. And you keep blowing us off. And um, in the second episode, there is a murder in a residential school.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Residential school is the schools where they they took the First Nations kids from their homes and, and they were run off. and they
1: were run by religious religious orders. orders. Yes. Um, Badly very
0: badly usually
1: yeah so there's a lot about that and and in fact one of the episodes sort of begins with him standing in front of the residential school and and angrily saying what kind of a god would let this sort of thing happen in his name so far there haven't been a lot of people of deep faith mm-hmm. but certainly the question of the residential schools of the treatment of the church towards native peoples is a major theme in the show i'm I'm interested to see how they deal with that. I'm um, It's Quebec. There are French Canadians, a lot of them are nominally Catholic. I'm not sure that any of them so far are practicing Catholic. Mm. Um I would love to see the the episode, I mean an episode kind of go into somebody who's more faithful. Um so far it's kind of been just people angry at these historical right. wrongs. Yeah. Um But dealing with them in ways that are interesting, I feel like so far the villains have not the, or not the villains actually, oftentimes people who are dead but who have been abusive towards people in the past have been very flat and stereotypical. There have been at least three people who we found out about in the past who were bad guys who I felt were very flat. (coughs) And that, But most of the characters are are much more nuanced than that. I Mm -hmm. I do think that that's one flaw of the show is that they keep going to these Tropes tropes
0: and cliches. Yeah.
1: I suppose detective fiction is very, and police procedurals are very prone to having their tropes.
0: Yeah. But the good ones find ways to either break from them or use them in a way that surprises the audience.
1: Mostly they've been used. In the the biggest tropes have been used more as background information, but but the characters are never made more rounded. Like right. there is, um, the family is like dealing with the death of the very abusive father, and it's more about the children who who survived his abuse. It's not really about him, but he's just a flat character. He was a bad abusive father, and right. that's all there was to him. And I so I feel like there's. Sort of a theme of abusive parents, and the abusive parents are not shown as being interesting or complex characters. They're just bad abusive people. They have one
0: trait, one trait that we know about person. them,
1: right? Um, but other than that, I mean, Albert Molina is just—he's
0: really good. He's so good.
1: <laughs> I really, I love his character. And there's a great, there's a. Um, he so he's got a team. But then they they keep getting thrown with this local small town cop, uh-huh. um, agent uh agent Nicole, who's just kind of clueless. But <laughs> she's like been assigned to him so that she can learn from from the great uh the best. Yep. and she like walks around like noisily eating potato chips, and
0: <laughs> she's kind of
1: a doofus. But she does occasionally like find an important clue or, you know, make an important move. But she's kind of a, a fun character. Is it
0: kind of like in Broadchurch? Well, no, because Olivia Colman's character in Broadchurch was not clueless.
1: No, no, there is an Olivia Colman character. She's a, um, her name's Isabel, and she's a Native woman who was adopted when she was two. Oh, um,
0: I think I know the, that actress because she was in Longmire in the last season. She was really good yeah she
1: she's really good, I yeah. like her character um so she's a she's a mom, single mom, i think um, and so she's she's very sympathetic towards the first peoples and and she's kind of the often the bridge to them uh-huh. and yet they're kind of distrustful of her because like, why did you become a cop I, right. you know and she's sort of the, the she's a little bit of a trope the I became a cop because I thought I could do more good for our people from within the system than from without sure. Um, but I like her a lot. Yeah. She's she's a really nuanced character.
0: She was an interesting character in Longmire, uh, too. That was... Yeah, that's the interesting differences between how, you know, the, the Native peoples in the United States and the First Nations people in Canada, because I don't think they have reservations in Canada either, where they're, like, they're separate and distinct they, with their own tribal police and stuff.
1: Not in exactly the same way. There's yeah. kind of, sort of reservation. There are reservation lands. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure. I, I don't think they're set up quite the same way legally in terms of being sovereign. Sovereign nations. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is everything is bilingual. People are frequently speaking French. Um, you know, he belong the, the, the police force in Quebec is the sécurité. Right. Um, and so there's a very heavy French flavor. And then there's some of the native peoples are speaking their own uh, native, language. native languages yeah. too, so it's a very multilingual. Uh, yeah, show. That's cool. I I really like it. It's it's and it's beautifully I mean, beautiful countryside.
0: Oh yeah, Quebec is beautiful. It is gorgeous. Yeah. Do they film? Is it year round? Like, is it?
1: Oh, there's a lot of stuff in snow. In fact, the first the first episode takes place in winter. Okay. Um,
0: I'm curious whether they whether they cover the whole the whole year.
1: I don't know if so far it's all had a very atmospheric, bleak, winter yeah. quality.
0: Because yeah, they might have all f- filmed it all like, you know, from October to December. No, actually
1: the, the last two episode arc, it wasn't winter. Like there was a character, they were eating outside and there was a character outside okay. in the rain. So I guess it was probably
0: spring. Okay. Okay. Cool. Now that I think about it. Yeah. So that's three pines on Amazon Prime. All right, so that brings us to discussing this week's uh, gospel and uh, the themes from the from the readings this week. I forgot to pull up the readings. Um, Let me grab the from the USCCB site. USCC two C's. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, so it was the general theme was kind of the call. Um, The first was. first, well, the first is kind of a, I don't know, it's an Isaiah reading and I'm not sure if Father Bob was a, Father Bob was the, a guest uh, celebrant this week. He's the local, uh, Episcopal vicar, Episcopal vicar or whatever. Anyway. Something vicar. He's this, he's one of the, the local, uh, vicars and, um, he didn't talk much about the re- first reading itself. But it's, you know, the the Lord, first the Lord degraded the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the end, he, was, he has glorified the seaward road, the land west of the Jordan, the district of the Gentiles. And it's very conceptual, you know, pe- as people make merry when dividing the spoils for the yoke that burdened them, the pole on their shoulder and the rod of the taskmaster you have smashed as on the day of Midian. So it's sort of like... The the important verse is, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's the one that we always remember from this. Right. So that was the first reading. The second reading is from Paul, 1 Corinthians. Uh, And this one is, I think, where Father really grabbed onto, because this is the one where it was, it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by Chloe's people. Chloe's people. Snitches get stitches that you there are <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. That there are rivalries among you. I mean, that each of you is saying I belong to Paul or I belong to Apollos or I belong to Cephas or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? My, my favorite bit is the was Paul crucified for you? Like.
1: I I just I'm, kind of feel uh, not Paul, dead yet. <laughs> I, I feel Paul just absolutely flabbergasted and just Was I crucified for you? No. Uh
0: no. I'm not your savior. I'm just the guy who's telling you about Jesus. And Father made the point like. Hey, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> right. This is, if you spend any time online and in, in Catholic social media circles, especially, you'll see it. So, you know, tribalism and it's not just Catholic stuff. I mean, this is everywhere in our society. Everything has become tribal. It's our group versus your group. And. It's not about principle. And I was talking to the kids today at dinner about this. It's, it's not about principle. It's not that I have this principle and you have that principle and our principles are opposing and we discuss them and we have, no, it's whatever you're for, I'm against because we're in opposite sides. It's not about principle. It's just about winning. And as father said, uh, it's all about winning. And the result of that is there's no winners. <laughs> Nobody wins. It, you know, it's because we won't work together. Uh, so. You know, I, I don't I don't like to get into specific politics within the church, but um do you see a lot of this division? You know, I'm I'm on this side. I'm on that side. I'm for this. I'm for that. I'm with him. I'm against him. And it's just after a while, you're like, oh, can we how about this? I'll be with Jesus.
1: And is not this supposed to be the week of, uh, of
0: Christian unity of prayer for Christian unity? I think that's why this reading is probably in there because we're supposed to have Christian unity and not be all divided. I mean there's there's principle, right? There, right, there are things that are right and wrong. You know, there is heresy, there's orthodoxy, there's right teaching and bad teaching. There is, you know, if you say if you deny the the, the teachings of the church, that's bad, sure. And and yet
1: those of us who believe in that Jesus is Lord It is still his prayer for us is that we might all be one. Right. And the fact that we are not one means that we are
0: failing to live up to his call. Yes. Right. We're, you know, we're, (laughs) we're missing Jesus. I mean, I get really, you know, wanting to do the right thing, wanting to pray the right way, wanting to you know give honor the do honor to Christ i get that but at at the end of the day we have to love one another <laughs> he didn't jesus wants us to celebrate liturgy in a holy way for just as an example to do it in a holy way to do it in a beautiful way to do it in a way that gives honor to him and his father and the holy spirit yes but what he really wants us to do is to love one another
1: right even more important it, than Anything else
0: that we can do, right, is to love. Is to love, and if you if you try to do these other things, and you know, or if it's not about literature, it's about social justice, you know. If you but if you if you're not loving others in the midst of doing this and loving them in a way that brings them to Jesus, are you loving them? So you know, are you doing what Jesus wants? So. Um, that's what Father's point was: is we need, you know, it's one thing to have disagreements and to work together toward the good, but it's nothing to have this tribalism. And that's what Paul is talking about in this reading: is about, it, you know, it's one thing to 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 disagree on how best to accomplish Christ's command; it's nothing to say I belong to Paul, or I belong to Cephas, and I belong to Apollos. No, so that's that was Father uh, Bob's homily then we've we've talked before about Mount St Mary's Abbey which is a a, a Benedictine Trappistine monastery near us of a uh, monastery of women near us that we have some connections to and uh, affinity for and they have on their website uh, the mother sophia often posts her reflections on the week's uh, gospel the week's readings and this week she had something on the culture of vocations and um because the uh, the gospel is about how Jesus called first Peter and Andrew and then uh, James and John to be the first disciple, the first apostles and, you know, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. And so she was reflecting on the call to vocations and, and I will, I'll put a link to the whole thing because it's worth uh, reading. But in it, she talks about how every vocation comes from elsewhere, comes from outside us. Our vocation comes from God, okay, and then we take that call and we cultivate it in a community or in a family, but also in our hearts, in ourselves you know we so if you're called to religious life or called to the priesthood, then you cultivate that call in a seminary or in 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 a novitiate, and then eventually, even once you're ordained or you take your vows, you're still cultivating that call you still. The, the the vocational act, so to speak, doesn't end just like being married doesn't end at the vows at the altar. It's when it begins. It's just the start. And you have to continually work on growing in your vocation your the rest of your life. Um. So she and she says that vocation is an external call that leads to a change in our whole being. And she she says our our calls an event and an ongoing story existing in three dimensions. In the past, we remember a moment in which we perceived a call to leave everything familiar and follow Jesus on a path of life, as yet indistinct, but one that promised purpose, fulfillment, and intimacy. We felt known, loved, and claimed by Christ as His own. Everything that happens afterwards hangs on this moment. And you know, I think about that with the past, like our. Or whether when you agreed to marry me or when we said our vows at the altar, you know, everything that happened afterward hung on that moment, you know, and just the the importance of that moment. But our call also exists in the future. We look toward another moment in which we'll be called to leave everything again, this time fully and finally, and be drawn into the unknown horizon of God's eternity. We do not know where we are going, but we put our trust in one who loves us. Everything that happens beforehand prepares for this moment. Our vocation, the purpose of our vocation, is to prepare us for eternity. Right. That's 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 easy to forget, especially in the day-to-day grind of school and work and feeding people Children who demand to be fed every day and keeping a house over our heads and clothes on our backs. And
1: in in a way, I I guess we, who aren't living a religious vocation, a monastic vocation, it's tempting to idealize and say, well, it would be a lot easier if you were going to church every day and praying the liturgy of the hours and living in an Abbey and community. But I can imagine even there, routines have a habit of help making us lose sight of the goal.
0: Yes. Right. You can get, you can get into the a rut and, and you take your eyes off the horizon and start looking at your feet, you know, and that's the equivalent. I mean, in a marriage, you know, it's easy to forget what we're really about, you know, and, and how, how we're really here to help each other grow in such a way Grow to love God. My job is to help you grow to love God more and vice versa, you know, and in each other, it is in you that I will grow in love with, with Christ. That's my my vocation and vice versa. You know, you will grow in love in Christ through me, you know, and and just like in a religious order, you grow in love of Christ through the community that's, That's your vocation. You don't do it alone. No one does it alone. I mean, unless you're a hermit, I suppose. If you're a hermit, you might be doing it alone, in which case you're totally reliant on the Holy Spirit.
1: Although it's interesting that even like the great hermit saints often spent at least some part of their life with others, with others teaching. Like St. Anthony of the Desert, whose, whose feast day we just celebrated, he was called out to the desert to live alone and yet he gathered around himself or they gathered they came in looking for him so
0: he didn't gather them right but <laughs> but
1: but a community gathered around him right and he founded the first monastery because these people came looking they were attracted to him or Christ well, called them to him, but, and then he, he ended up doing that for a while. And then he's like, okay, I'm done with living with all you people. And he went off to like, go look for the desert again, right. isolation and solitude. But his entire life, his entire journey wasn't solitude. Like solitude was a part of his journey, but community was also a part of his journey.
0: Well, and Father Connors makes the point that in this gospel, Jesus, you know, he, Sets the theme, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of heaven in this gospel, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he goes out and gets disciples. He gets, he gathers people. He says, I have no intention of doing this alone. I am doing this with and through others. This is not me and everyone. It is me through you to them. And that he set the stage for that. He's, this is the, this is what we're going to do so that's future is you know the, the so the past future and in the present she says we must seek to discern the golden thread of god's action in the vicissitudes of life to listen for the whispered directives of the spirit amid a, amid a cacophony of voices to find again the guiding hand in the gloom we inhabit a process of becoming not becoming someone else but becoming who god created us to be it's <laughs> It's hard to think, to think she lives in a monastery, where she talks about the cacophony of voices. Right. Certainly there's a cacophony of voices in, in our in our household, too. Um, and sometimes it's hard to hear the whispering directives of the Holy Spirit.
1: But but a monastery is, I mean, it's a it's community a fam- of people. Well, it's a family. Yes. I mean, St. Saint Benedict, Saint Benedict bases his monastic rule on right. the idea of the monastery as as family. Right. The abbot and, or abbess stands in persona, mom or dad, really.
0: Right. And so, as an abbess, well, she we call is her mother. Right. Mother
1: she, she she is
0: a mother. So, yeah. And so in the present, so we have the past, the future, and in the present, we're just seeking that golden thread to follow, right? Just the, the life is full of uh, distractions and obstacles and challenges, and there's a golden thread of God's. God's action in there. Just we just have to make sure we keep looking for God in whatever it is we're doing. Where is the Lord in that? In in following it wherever it leads. So in in, hope, in hoping that it leads to that future eternity. So she says um in the end um the pray to pray for vocations implies that we truly live our vocation. Okay? And that means praying for other vocations. So if we're praying for not just, uh, other, you know, priests, but praying for religious, praying for good married couples, that, that's actually, we're having as much of a married cu- couples problem in the church as we are a priest problem, lack a lack thereof. Um, and we should be praying for all the vocations now. But she says, this means that we recognize our call, not just as a past event, a youthful ideal set aside with a resigned sigh and a cynical chuckle, or a job description to be carried out with uninspired efficiency, but as the meaning of our existence, which brings forth the ongoing gift of self. I was thinking of that, you know, how many times I see like old married couples sort of cynical and making fun. And then there are the old married couples who are still find the joy in each other. Yeah,
1: there was a, there was a great moment in Three Pines where Alfred Molina's character, um, reaches out to another police officer and he's, he's having a hard time in his marriage and he reaches out to him. Like, like all marriages go through difficult patches and just trying to encourage him like to to, to stick to it, to, to, to have hope right? to take heart. And I was like, it was, it wasn't fleshed out a lot, but it
0: was just sort of this moment of nice. <laughs> like Yeah. Like you can do it. Support each other. Right. And so she adds, um, our vocation is a reality that transcends us, that deepens as we grow, that always draws us onward. And so then she she has this poem by the Welsh poet R.S. Thomas called The Bright Field, and I'll read it to you. I like this one. I have seen the sun break through to illuminate a small field for a while and gone my way and forgotten it. But that was the pearl of great price, the one field that had treasure in it. I realize now that I must give all that I have to possess it. Life is not hurrying on to a receding future, nor hankering after an imagined past. It is the turning aside, like Moses, to the miracle of the lit bush, to a brightness that seemed as transitory as your youth once, but is the eternity that awaits you. So, light... Life isn't, the, isn't hurrying on to what's going on to the future. You know, tomorrow I've got to succeed, uh, I, you know.
1: I love that, that image of the light, the momentary light on the field, that, that stroke of inspiration which inspires the poet. Yes. And the way he connects that with the pearl of great price and the treasure hidden in the field. Like that, that moment of inspiration, that's eternity. And that's what we're longing for. That's that's the pearl of great price is that moment when we see beauty and grace clearly. Yes. Whether whether it's,
0: you know. You You could say, oh, what a pretty field and move on and not realize that the treasure's there.
1: Well, in fact, he kind of did say what a pretty field and moved
0: on. Like, right. And yet gone my way and forgotten it. And yet something in him is is called back to that. Right. And he says life. He says life isn't about hurrying to the future or trying to, you know, you see so many, especially young people, they're like, oh, I need to make my first million. I got to get that ideal job. I got to have a family and have kids. And I'm always looking for, you know, to what's tomorrow. What are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do for vacation this year? What are we going to do next year? Are we going to have a bigger house next year? Always looking to the future. Uh, as Yoda says, mm, looking to the future always you are; never in the present. It's a very Yoda thing here, <laughs> or very Yoda, hankering after an imagined past, which is a sort of thing that the older folks like us do, right? We imagine, oh, it was always so much better before. Oh, the when I was young, things were better. Oh, it was young better when we were newly married or whatever. But that's not life. Life isn't nostalgia. Life isn't constantly imagining the the what the possibilities for the future it is turn aside like moses to the miracle of the lit bush turn aside and be in the present of the bright field because that's where god is that's where god is calling you to live live in the now not in the then not in you know the past or the future but in the now because the now will lead to the future that future will come no matter what so uh that was mother Sophia of the mount st mary's abbey so very very good reflection i wish you she had one every week (laughs) it would make doing this segment so much easier (laughs) because hers her reflections are always so good um and of course we'll link to it for you if you're interested in reading the whole thing so uh that should do it i think and uh, so we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including Richard S., Marty K., Zane C., Joshua S., and Jacob U. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Raising the Bets, and all the shows at Starquest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the Starquest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Starquest Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com Or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Write a review at Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Eleni Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another podcast on the StarQuest network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets.